Welcome to the IPX True North Podcast, where we connect people, processes, and tools. I'm your host, Chris Anderson. This is episode two of the IPX True North Podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about how CM2 achieves the requirements of the EIA 649 standard for configuration management. Today, we have Scott Wordle, who's the Chief of Engineering Excellence, and Todd Egan, who's the Vice President of Field Operations. My name's Todd Egan. I'm the VP of Field Operations for the Institute for Process Excellence. Um, I help organizations uh, work through their journeys of going through the digital transformations. Prior to working for IPX, um, I had spent 20 plus years in aerospace working in both uh, commercial and military applications for propulsion systems, doing integration with large and small commercial aircraft. Also working on process optimizations for large multinational corporations and helping with uh, PLM deployments. I'm Scott Wardle. I'm Chief of Engineering Excellence with IPX. Uh, I have been doing configuration management even before I knew what configuration management was through roles in the aerospace and defense industry as a project engineer, configuration manager, uh, tool designer, all those types of things. You know, you just had to track what was going on. And uh, I tended to gravitate towards that type of industry or type of field to be able to do those things. And that's what actually brought me to IPX now. So I help other people in this role as Chief of Engineering Excellence to implement CM2 as well as other configuration management standards such as EIA 649. So first, let's step into what exactly is configuration management for those who might not know, if you would. Well, we can tell you what configuration management is not. It is not part numbers. So so many people think configuration management is just about engineering part numbers and and you know literally the word configuration, locking down a part number. And while naming and numbering is definitely one facet of configuration management and it's one method of control configuration management, it is much more than that. And what's interesting, and we'll talk about this through the rest of this show, is while the focus is on EIA 649, CM2 takes everything that's in that standard, the consensus standard for configuration management, blows it up to the enterprise level and realizes that everything at some point is configuration management, whether it's records management, data management, requirements management, change management, uh, and all those types of things. So if it's something that you and your organization needs to control and keep a record of, have traceability of, that's what configuration management is to us. Yeah, that's, that's a great explanation, Scott. So, um, you know, to touch on your, your, your earlier point from it being, you know, not being part numbers, a lot of people think of configuration management as simply being the activity of document control, somebody who's trying to police the information within the organization. And while that is a facet of it, it is so much more than that because it's trying to help create you know, drive some order from the chaos and not just looking at it from the simple engineering point of view, but actually looking at it across the entire enterprise. What is the EIA 649 um, and, and maybe where it's where it came from and how it gets involved with CM2? Sure. So EIA 649 actually started off um, is the latest generation of an industry standard that was actually um, started off in its infancy. It was something that was developed by the DOD back in the 1950s. 
the, the discipline of configuration management was developed by the US government because they got tired of every single tank coming off the assembly line being a unique configuration that they then couldn't manage and repair out in the field. So they actually introduced, they introduced their own standards internally to be able to try and track the configuration of these products and drive some consistency in what was coming off the line. So they understood how they were to be not only manufactured, but maintained out in the field. It rolled over into mill standard 973. And then in, um, 1998, they introduced EIA 649, which is the current version of it, which was basically stepping away from it being primarily a military-focused standard to something that could be used for an application standpoint from both a military and commercial standpoint. And so it's now in its third iteration. Uh, Revision Charlie was introduced in February of last year um, and is um, something that's authored by the uh, G33 group out of uh, SAE International. Going beyond the standard five tenements and fundamental elements of configuration management, they've started to expand upon that understanding that they need to get more into the focus on the enterprise. So it, it, it doesn't get into it anywhere near at the level that CM2 does, but they're starting to understand they need to put in those foundational elements to show that people are actually giving consideration to the impact across the larger enterprise, and not just that traditional engineering focus that organizations have been solely focusing on in the past. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's so it's interesting to hear more about the history of the EIA uh, 649 and how it was kind of geared towards military and governmental type things at first, which I mean, you think of military, you think of like cookie cutter, like easy follow um, orders, things like that. And so having those and, and especially like in battle, having everything the same, they're able to then work on and be able to uh, lower the time with getting things back out in the field. And so that, that was really interesting, but you say there, there are differences um, with the EA 649 and standards versus CM2 having more ability to change and adapt. Is that correct? So what it is, is, is 649, again, foundational elements. It's the, it, it's kind of the key pillars that, um, you know, driving some of the, the, the regiment into the organization from how they are identifying, managing their configurations and tracking their data. When you get into the enterprise platform, and Scott, please feel free to jump in here, but when you get into the enterprise platform, you're not only looking at that um, that, that structure and definition, but you're also looking at, um, you're actually looking at the impact across the larger organization and where you've got opportunities to be able to proactively plan for, you know, what are some of the upstream and downstream impacts that are potentially going to be uh, driven by the decisions that the organization is going to make and is this the right thing to do for the organization is this going to be the right thing to do to be able to support the customer base give them what they need not only today but what they're going to need as they you know continue to use that product 5 10 15 20 years down the line yeah and, and i guess chris to help answer your question too i probably should give my definition of being able to adapt that that might help what it is I mean, EIA 649 does not stop you from changing, right? To be clear, it's a fantastic standard. Um, most organizations, especially any government contractors to this day, are still required to meet those fundamental things. And as we said, uh, starting out, you, you hit those and CM2 still meets them. So it's, it's not a competition between the two. But it is that history, again, that I wanted to focus on and, and the difference of what I mean then by what is adaptable. When you have a standard that was originally designed to lock down product configurations, um, it was specifically meant to inhibit change. 
not prevent it, not stop it from happening. But when you want to make thousands of these at a time, you don't want uh, one of your suppliers or imagine not just the OEM, but a tier one, tier two, tier three. You know, these are big supply chains doing government contracts sometimes being able to go off and just tweak something really quickly without having all the notifications that are required all the way back up that supply chain. And that's so that's what it was built around. So you locked in functional baselines, you locked in allocated baselines, you locked in your product baselines, and then you had change objects that hung on them. And that's where the configuration status accounting part of EIA 649 comes in is going, okay, since the last time we've locked down the baseline, what have we done to it? Um, that's a slow, painful process to do. If anybody has ever done that, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's an old paper-based system or even done in a database. Having to do that research of every change that has happened since a date it's been locked down just makes it slow and cumbersome. Making something adaptable a, a little more efficient is how CM2 took it. And rather than locking in baselines, we're, we're rolling the baseline all the time. We don't lose traceability. We make changes fast and efficient, and we still give you everything that you need in order to, to manage a configuration at a point in time that you want, because we could roll back and, and give you that snapshot in time of what we built as an example. So that's what I mean by being adaptable. It's just being a little easier to make the change while maintaining that traceability. Right. Okay, no, that definitely clears things up and, and makes it more understandable for sure. So you, you just are able to to update things and get things moving quicker with CM2, but it still covers all the bases needed. Yeah, absolutely, Chris. So okay. it's a, to, to, to Scott's point, what you're doing is you're with, with EIA 649 and those foundational elements, you're controlling the configuration, right? So gotcha. yep. it's when, when we talk about locking it down, that doesn't mean it can't change, but it means that they're, they're putting some very strict guidelines in place to ensure that people can't just arbitrarily go off and introduce a new material, right? So like as an example, um, in aerospace, the world that I grew up in, right, we had to go through and do a qualification of all of our products. And so as part of that qualification process, you needed to show whatever you were going to actually put on the product that the customer was going to fly was going, you know, was going to meet or exceed what was utilized as part of the testing to show that it was going to meet the requirements from, you know, a, a, a stress, a load and consideration standpoint to be able to support the various different thermal environments. Because what you don't want to have happen is somebody going and say, OK, I'm going to go through and do this test with titanium and I know it can take this load. And two years down the line, somebody else in the organization goes, well, that's great, but titanium is really expensive. So I'm going to swap that out. I'm going to make it out of aluminum instead because it's far more affordable for us and we can improve our profit margins. And then you have wings fall off an aircraft, right? Like that's just that, that doesn't work for anybody. So by going through and making sure that that's proper control, then when an organization wants to make those kinds of changes, there's a requirement that it has to go through and get the proper review and analysis by the key stakeholders to determine whether or not it's something that really makes sense from an organizational standpoint. It's something that will achieve the goals of the organization without putting any undue risk on the organization or the, you know, the, the customers that are going to utilize that product. Gotcha. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense <laughs> and, and a good thing to have because yeah. yeah, you wouldn't want wings falling off any planes for sure. Well, I find a lot of planes, so I'm really thankful. That yeah. Definitely. Exactly. Off. 
Now, and I, you mentioned aviation a lot, industry with um, EIA 649. Is that kind of the main one that you, utilizes that, or are there other industries that, that use that? No, uh, so um, the, the military is, uh, is a, a huge um, customer base for EIA 649. Uh, NASA uses a, a, a variation or a flavor on it as 649-2. Uh, as well, um, EIA 649 can be utilized in automotive. It can be utilized in a lot of different industries. And again, it is that kind of foundational element that organizations will start with as they're setting up their change management organizations. And then once they've got that foundational element in place, then you know they'll traditionally come in and talk to us about the CM2 side of the house. And, and just to clarify, we actually teach both EIA 649 and CM2 because we recognize you know, the value and power of what EIA 649 has been able to develop over the last, you know, 20 years and continuing on with what the military had produced before that. And then, you know, the CM2 is kind of driving that to the next level and, and bringing that out to the larger enterprise definition. So you're basically taking EIA 649, teaching it still because of the validity of it, and then just kind of bringing in CM2, which levels up even more what is meant to be doing basically yeah so traditional configuration management back in the day and still somewhat with 649 had been focused on the engineering side of the house right so it's it, it's it's dealing with the the documentation the data sets the 2d models the drawings the material and process specifications those kinds of things and that's been that primary focus which is an incredibly important focus but it's only one small facet of the business right so when you look at a when you look at a change Think of throwing a pebble into the pond, right? There's ripple effects that go out from that. They go from far beyond engineering. And so with the CM2 methodology, it's looking at that across the entire organization or enterprise as opposed to just that engineering focused um, flavor that it's been in the past. So there's benefits to using both then, and they both comply with standards and um, everything that's needed, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's not one over the other. They build on one another. So 649 is that foundational element. And then CM2 allows you to just expand that into, again, into the, the larger enterprise. And, and you see EIA 649, you know, we talk a lot about aviation defense because, again, historically, that's where it was. Those are the groups that are used to using it. But we see it being adopted in any regulated environment. So nuclear, med device, even nutrition. Now with FDA stuff is, you know, because you have to have that traceability. So it gets adopted um, pretty much across industry. Even consumer goods, consumer products are adopting it in some sort of flavor. Um, But a lot of the resistance is cultural, believe it or not, is, well, it started military. It was mainly used for, you know, military stuff. I don't want to do anything that's that's rigid. So some organizations just completely shy away from it um, for that reason. But it's too bad. It's a great way to specifically for the engineering side, get that organized and, and get it running smoothly. Traditionally, as organizations grow, they, they they will have an event of some kind that will make them understand or get an appreciation for uh, what what change management, whether it's you know starting off with 649 or doing it from a CM2 standpoint, but it will make them have an understanding of why this is a critical discipline to have within the organization to make sure that they have the proper checks and balances. Because without them, you know, God willing, it's not an event that ends up shuttering the doors. I've seen some instances where they've come pretty close. What would you recommend for companies to do? Maybe like their their guides are just not written 
to a standard that's protecting them just from what you've learned through organizations with uh, EIA 649, would you recommend businesses going a certain route to um, improving that? Absolutely, Chris. Absolutely. There's a, there's a couple of different routes that they can go. So, I mean, one of the things that they can do is they can actually take a, they, they can take a course in EIA 649 to make sure that they've got full familiarity with the standard. Um, you know, when we offer a couple of different ways of doing that um, through the organization, right, you can do that through an LMS system, you can do that through uh, virtual classes um, as, as well with, um, with a live instructor. And what we'll do is we make sure that those students have a very strong understanding of the, the key elements of the 649 standard, what are all the uh, applicable tenements that they need to be taking into consideration within their organization. And then we'll help them build um, a configuration management plan if they don't have one or um, help them do an audit of their existing one to make sure that it covers all the key components to um, minimize the um, any risk that the organization may have today. Yeah, so that's that's the key right there is the, you know, our IPX and um, EIA 649 course, uh, that's what you do walk away with, that you can start implementing in your company. And if maybe not a full plan, right, it's done through coursework and it all depends on the student of how detailed they get, but definitely you will have a framework that you can take back with you and start implementing something. And again, if you already have one, it's a great way to take a fresh look at the plans you have in place. Are they really the best fit for purpose for your company? Um, you know, auditing is one of the five tenets and, and we do auditing in CM2 as well. We have a, a role specifically, the ARA, audit release analysis, audit and release analyst. Uh, it's an important role to make sure that everything is being done, uh, gathering the right metrics, measuring the process, and making sure it fits. One of the nice things with the trainings is it gives individuals a chance to kind of step back and look at things um, with a, a fresh perspective, right? So kind of going through and doing that gap analysis, traditionally in people's day-to-day -day jobs, they're focused on the immediate problem at hand. They never have an opportunity to kind of step back and actually look at their processes and determine whether or not they're working the way that they need them to and whether or not they've got the coverage that they need to with clear direction to the different key players within the organization and the process to make sure that they can manage the configuration effectively as possible. So by being able to step back, walk through the training, get a refresher on what those tenements are, and then looking, going through and doing a review of your organization's existing document, you can identify where there's opportunities to make your processes more robust, you know, stepping out of the course whereas traditionally you just don't have that time internally to do that. Going through this, the CM2 training, EIA 649 training, you're, you're really helping them come out with a pro, proactive mindset so they can go back and find the gaps, find maybe where there needs to be updated so they can really solidify their processes better. Am I getting that clear picture? That's very well articulated, Chris. That's, okay. that's, the, whole, that's the whole idea behind... Uh, change management, right, is that it's in a lot of organizations, it started off being very reactive in nature. And the idea that what we try to do at IPX is we try to evolve that mindset within organizations and within the individuals that we teach in our classes, to take that from that traditional reactive mindset and move it more towards a proactive mindset so that you are identifying these things before they turn into large issues or potentially, you know, huge costs for an organization and, you know, allow them to go through and think proactively of how they want to address this and whether or not this is really the right direction to go for the organization. I've been, you know, configuration manager for about 10 years prior to joining IPX. And that's something that I absolutely love about IPX is the style in which we do teach. And that's all of our courses, including EIA 649. 
we don't just sit there and teach you the theory. We try to teach you the practical application and we try to make sure that when you leave the course, you have something you can take home and add value to your organization and you can start using it right away. So same thing, whether like Todd said, you do it through uh, self-learning through a learning management system that IPX has available, whether we do virtual courses that are instructor led because it's COVID time or whether or not we finally start seeing each other again in person, you know, the right one that works for you uh, as a student or as an organization, those are available, but all of our instructors are going to share the stories, share the war stories, show our scars that we've lived through implementing this stuff uh, to give you some good lessons learned and things that you can take home with you again and be productive, boots on the ground right away when you get started. Absolutely, find ways to make it actually relevant for the students in class so that they can start thinking about it in the context of their organizations. I'm gonna say, Scott, I don't think we actually have anybody that's got less than 20 years. So these are people that have, have, have been in the trenches and, and understand the challenges that organizations and the individuals are going through, and even the challenges the individuals are having with their organizations to try and get this elevated to the level of importance that it needs to be considered, right? So it's, that's, and like you, when I was, outside in industry and getting exposure to this for the first time, it was so refreshing to be able to see the, the prevalence, the importance of what could be done with this, the power of what could be done with this and taking that back to my own organization and you know, being able to share with them how we could actually really drive significant improvements in our process by applying this methodology. In that it's super important to have that training and have that guidance to be able to take back to your corporations. Um, and so thank you guys for sharing on this episode so much information about the IA 649 and the CM2 programs. Before we come to a close today, guys, I would love just if you one of you would share just kind of closing message for those maybe thinking more about the CM2 EIA 649. So uh, for anybody out there that is interested, I would say it's a fantastic platform. Um, it's a, a great training to go through. Uh, if, if you're early on in your career or if you're looking for something for um, to go through and get a refresh on the fundamental elements, um, EIA 649 is a great course for that. Um, we've been working with the community for several years now. It's something that has been a lot of help in my career growth. And I think it's something that would be uh, beneficial for people out there that are looking to um, build out the, the foundational elements to start working towards the, the bigger interdependencies and pictures of, of what's involved in the process as you go forward. Yeah. And I look at it from the personal side also. Uh, if you've been practicing for a while and you just want to get out and get a refresher, uh, I always talk about, you know, the CM, we're, we're a tight group of people. I mean, it's a support group as much as anything else. So come to class, meet some other practitioners, grow your network, uh, get a certification or CEUs if you need that for any of your other licenses. Uh, IPX has a Slack channel if you just want to sit and, and just talk about it and be with other like-minded individuals for a while. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes on with this besides just, you know, change management, configuration management, once you start getting involved in the community. So I would say go out, get involved in the community. Absolutely, Scott. That's a, that's a, that's a great point is the, the CM community is... It is a fairly small community. I mean, it, it spans the globe, but it is a fairly small community. And it's wonderful to be have an opportunity to be with people that like-minded individuals that actually understand this u- unique career that, that uh, a lot of us have, uh, have chosen. 
and to be able to go out and talk to people and kind of bounce ideas off of one another and have a group of peers to be able to share ideas and expand on your knowledge base with is, is invaluable. Great kind of statements to end on, personal and professional, both tied in there. And I'm sure you both are on LinkedIn if people do want to connect with you. Absolutely. Awesome. Yep. And then also, if you guys are listening and want to find out more about CM2 and even EIA 649, you can head over to ipxhq.com and you can find all the information there. Uh, again, Scott, Todd, thank you so much for being on the IPX True North podcast today. Thank you, Chris. Chris. Thanks for the time. Thank you for tuning in today. Don't forget to subscribe and review the show. And for more information on IPX, visit ipxhq.com.